Well, however you're watching online or on demand on a YouTube channel, Facebook Live, Rockbridge Online, thank you so much for tuning in, for joining us today. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team here at Rockbridge Community Church. And again, thanks for being here. You're welcome to interact with us in the comments section, uh, send a private message, uh, anything we can do to serve you, anything we can do to help you in your journey here together. We believe we're stronger together, and so let's get in God's Word together. But before we do that, we got to look ahead a little bit. Next weekend is Mother's Day weekend, and we are just fired up and excited that we're going to have a drive-through maintaining social distance, a drive-through photo booth at all of our campuses where families can come together in a vehicle, get out, get a great picture taken with mom. We're going to honor and bless our moms. And uh, you, you'll be able to sign up for a time for any of our six locations, rockbridge.cc forward slash moms. All right, so we're in part four of a series called Game Changers, and we've been saying that uh, we all need ga a game changer, something that alters the course, alters the direction uh, of, of our lives or our attitudes or our hope. Well, there's a saying you've heard me say if you've hung around Rockbridge for uh, any length of time or gotten an email or something from, from me, and it's the saying, the best is yet to come. Now, I want that to be a reality for all of us today. I don't want this to be a cliche. I, I want it to be a conviction because this is a statement of hope. This is a statement of expectation and anticipation that a, a better day, a better time, a better season is coming. And who doesn't need that? Because as human beings, you know, we have a fuel and for, for many, in many ways, hope is that fuel, the belief that something better is coming. However, I, I've noticed something about us w without assistance. This is true, that most of us are better at losing hope than maintaining it or maximizing it. I mean, let, let's just be real. Many of us are, are, are one text, one email, one Facebook message away from feeling hopeless or feeling like it does, it, does anything really matter is the best really yet to come. I mean, that's kind of how fragile our hope can be. Some of you, you're already there today. And, and, and you're just like, I, I don't know if the best is yet to come. Has, has COVID-19 taken it away? Has, is the economy that's going south, is that going to take it away? I mean, so some of us were like, Matt, I don't even know if I believe what you just said. And that's okay. That's okay. But I want to offer us a promise that God has for us and then see how we can live into that, lean into that promise. And it comes from Romans 15, 13, where it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace, so completely not lacking, because you trust in him. And then look at this, then you will overflow with confident hope, not fingers crossed, hope so hope, but confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit that God supernaturally will allow us to have an overflow of hope, not lost hope, but maximum hope, just overflowing with hope. Hey, and what I'd like to do just before we jump into to God's word, I just wanna pause wherever you're watching at home with your family and your dog or on your device, I just want us all to pray together. God, there's everyone listening here today needs hope. You created us to run on it. You fuel us with your hope, God. But Lord, some, some of us were teetering. Maybe we feel lost. Maybe we feel disappointed. Maybe we feel defeated or in despair or in depression. But God, I pray that today we would truly come to believe, realize, and live from the spot that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. 
And hey, listen, uh, this week, this Wednesday online, We've got our most important service, our prayer service, communion service, and that's at 6.30 on, uh, on Facebook and YouTube at robberidge.cc, live.robberidge.cc. Hope you tune in. We'll be available to pray, and we'll pray together as, uh, as, as we're stronger together in the body of Christ. But today's game changer is this. What if we could all learn to live with the hope that the best is, in fact, yet to come? What if this was not a cliche, but a conviction. What if this was not, uh, well, maybe that's true, but I know that I know that I know that's true. And we all listened and left our living room or left our, our, our family room or our bedroom or our device. And we're like, yeah, the best is yet to come. So we turn to this famous, incredible passage of scripture in Romans chapter eight. We'll start reading in Romans 17. And in this, we're gonna share about three ways that we can, that, that Paul is gonna coach us and direct us and help us to land in a spot where this is true, to land in a spot where that we have a hope that suffering and adversity and affliction cannot take away, that we, can, that we live from a spot where yes, the best is yet to come, that we live with hope, that we overflow with hope, that we don't lose hope, we maximize hope. So we pick it up in verse 17, which is sort of where we left off last week. And it says this, if children or children of God, then you're also heirs, you have an inheritance and that inheritance is tied up with Jesus Christ, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. So the Bible doesn't set, doesn't promise us a life without suffering. It says, in fact, you're going to suffer. We'll look at one of the reasons for that in just a minute. But if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him and, and glory is celebrated and honored and recognized in, in the entirety of who Christ is, okay? And then he goes on in verse Verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so he's in reality, he's in a here and now, but he's suffering. But the, the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So something better is coming and it does not even compare with the sufferings. It does not even compare with what we're going through now. The future is so bright, the best is in fact yet to come that I can't even compare it with what I'm having to go through, what I'm having to deal with now. So Paul makes an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly bold statement. And, and the bold statement is that the future is much brighter than the present. Now, what's ironic is we, we don't really hear a lot about that on the news or from our leaders, in, in, whether it's our health leaders or our government leaders. We don't really, uh, we don't know what to think about what's gonna happen this summer, what's gonna happen in the future. It, will there be a vaccine? Will there not be a vaccine? Does it even matter? Uh, how bad is it? Is it really bad? Is it not so bad? We're not really sure. Could there be another outbreak? Could, could one of our six communities or, or a community you're living in or watching from, could that become like, like a hot spot? And so Paul makes a bold statement. He says, no, no, I know for sure that the future is much brighter than the present. I, I know that for sure. And, and so Paul's hope is not a hope built on uncertainty. It's not a, I hope so, like I hope the weather man was wrong and I hope tomorrow's a nice day. Or I hope the, the, if we have a recession, I hope it's a V, not a U. Or I hope this, this new drug that came out this week, I hope it really works against COVID, but we're not sure. We still gotta do some more tests. That's not what Paul's saying here. 
He's making a definitive statement. Can you imagine? Can you imagine with a hope so powerful, so certain, so felt, so understood that it made your present bearable, but not only bearable, but it gave you joy in the present, even though your present has some suffering, has some negative stuff in it, has some adversity with it. And so the quality or the object of Paul's hope is so big and so beautiful and so amazing that the first thing Paul would say, hey, if you're gonna maximize your hope, you gotta know what the highest hope is. And, and see, for so many of us, I think if you said, hey, what's your greatest hope? Our greatest hope might be, man, that I make it to retirement and that social security's intact and that I can go to the beach and collect seashells. Some of us might say, you know, my greatest hope is that I get married one day. Some of us, you know, may say, hey, I just want to make it through this season. Some of us, you know, hey, what's your greatest hope? And you might just say, hey, I just want my marriage to survive and get a little bit better and maybe, you know, just kind of to grow old with her or with him. And there's nothing wrong with those hopes. But Paul would say, you're not hoping high enough. You're not hoping deep enough. You're not hoping eternal enough. And so he says, look, if we're going to maximize hope, we got to know what our highest hope is. And verse 17 gave it to us that our highest hope is the glory of Christ. That we would see and sense and share and experience the weight of the beauty of the majesty of the reality of Christ. This is not just Christ that maybe, hey, the guy that you, somebody told you to pray to and he would get you out of hell. This is a, a more glorious, a co more comprehensive view of Christ. This is not Jesus that was put on a flannel board or some picture you saw in a museum. This is the full weight, the full reality of who Jesus Christ is. And Paul says, that is my highest hope. And, and he goes even further and he pushes us even further and he says, look, Jesus is the one we are designed to hope in. Jesus is the only one that offers this maximum hope of seeing who he is, enjoying who he is, experiencing who he is, and sharing as a co-heir in eternity with him. Now, let's look at some other scriptures that talk about this. This takes us to the cross, Philippians 2, an old hymn or saying of the church, where it says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, for how Jesus died in our place to fulfill the will of the Father, God highly exalted him, highly glorified him, placed him in a preeminent position and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, there's our word, of God the Father. And so we learn here from Paul that the glory of Christ is deserved, it's unrivaled, and it's unquestionable. Like Jesus is the undisputed heavyweight champion, right, of the cosmos, right, of all creation. And he's unrivaled and he deserves it. See, whenever we talk about what someone deserves, you know, you think about a beautiful wedding and you're in the audience and you delight to see the bride walk down the aisle and you delight to see the grooms when he sees her and he's been waiting on that and it's the glory of the bride, okay? Coming into the room and you turn and look and you stand in honor, that is like a fraction, that is a drop 
of what it's going to be like and what we're created to see Jesus coming and enjoy being with him and enjoy seeing him get what he deserves and it's unrivaled and it's unquestionable. And, And Jesus talked about us seeing this glory and experiencing this glory in his last and longest prayer for us in John 17 before he went to die. He said to his father, he said, Father, I want those you have given me my, your kids, my kids, to the, the, the co-heirs of Romans eight seventeen, to be with me where I am, to escape the brokenness of the world that needs renewal, but to be with me, so he's talking in, in glory in heaven, in the new kingdom, so that they will see my glory, they'll get who I am, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. So God has been planning to share the glory of his son with you and I as his kids since before the world was created. And so in here we see that the glory of Christ is promised it's planned and it's loving. Now this, this, is, this is unbelievable, all right? So Jesus, just like he promised to come back from the dead, has promised to give his kids, to give his co-heirs a share, a sense, and satisfaction from his glory. And this is loving. Look what he says here, that they'll see my glory that the best way God can love us is to rescue us from, the, from his holy and just wrath and then to allow us to experience and see and share in his glory. That's the most loving thing he can do. A, a lot of times people have a hard time with this. They believe, or maybe you believe, that God should be all about you and that God should give you what you want and how you want it and when you want it. And when you get to the bottom of scripture, scripture says God's all about God and sharing his glory, his preeminence, and it's in love with all of us. And some people, are, I, I don't like God being like that because it challenges you and I being all about you and I, right? I mean, we're all, we're all one decision away from me, myself, and I, and one decision away from stupid. And when we read scriptures and know God is really about his glory, now he wants us to share in that glory. Some of us have a problem with that and our ego and our pride gets in the way. But can you imagine that if you were on an airplane flying, right? And, and the pilot suddenly had a heart attack and the, co-pi- and, the, and the co-pilot had a heart attack and, and they were just taken out. And, they, and then somebody gets on the intercom and says, hey, if anybody knows anything about flying a plane, would you come up front and we'd like to talk to you? Could you imagine what if you had an expert like Top Gun ace pilot sitting in the seat and like, oh, I can't go up there. I don't want to offer myself. You know, I, I don't want to make much of myself. You would be like, no, no, go to the front. We need you to help us land the plane. That's like Jesus saying, I, I, Jesus says, I'm the most glorious thing there is. And I want you to share in that. I don't want to withhold that. I want you to have that. So it's the most loving thing God could do is to give us the best and the best is him. The best is himself. Now, if that collides with your pride, you've got to wrestle with your pride, but you can't wrestle with the promised loving glory of Christ. You can't is what we were created to have. And so what Paul does is he says, look, there's no comparison with the experience of seeing and being satisfied with the glory of Christ. There's no comparing that to our present suffering. 
So instead of letting our present suffering foil our hope, Paul wants it to be a springboard to, a, to, to the reality of the coming glory of Christ. And so the second way that Paul encourages us to maximize our hope is he says, Let, let's not deny suffering, but let's let suffering serve our hope by focusing us forward in faith. See, what, what right now a lot of people are focused on the future and they're frustrated. But the Christ follower who longs for the glory of Christ can, can go through suffering and say, you know, I lament, I grieve, I'm frustrated, but my frustration doesn't foil my hope. My frustration fuels my hope because it points me forward to a certain hope, which is my share, my experience, my seeing, my being satisfied by the glory of Christ. And so all of you, all of you listening, no matter where you are in your faith journey, please hear what I'm saying, okay? Please hear what I'm saying. Hopelessness is not a condition to accept, but an alarm to recognize God did not create you to, to run on hopelessness or to bump into a dead end where there's no further hope, nothing else we can do. God wants to be the source of your hope. God wants to give you his hope. God wants you to live every day, even in adversity, with a hope that cannot be touched. So now Paul is going to give us one other way to maximize this hope. And, you, and you've heard the saying, well, it depends on how you look at it. You've, you've heard that saying, and, and it's talking about perspective. And there's one way of looking at things that, that might be more pessimistic, glasses half empty. And there's another way of looking at things that might be, oh, you glasses half full, optimistic. And some of us will be like, I, I don't know how to look at it. Well, Paul is going to tell us how to look at it. And when we know how to look at it, when I say it, I mean our present reality with the right perspective. It, we can look at it in such a way that our hope is maximized or maintained or strengthened so that we're longing for this glory to be revealed and for us to see it, share it, and be satisfied by it. So the first thing he does to help us look at it correctly is he goes and he talks about the creation story, that, that what is going on with the world and what is going on in creation. Now, all of us would recognize, especially in a COVID-19 season, especially with the storms that have hit our area, all of us recognize that creation has some problems. And those problems, whether they're viruses or cancer or disasters that we call natural disasters or, or climate and what's going on with the, with the weather and those kind of things, all of us recognize that creation has some frustrations, right? And we get the brunt of that. We bear the fruit of that. That We bear the fruit of having to shelter in place or we bear the fruit of having to take cover because of a storm. And Paul's gonna explain in a, in a comprehensive way why that is. Verse 19, Romans 8, Paul says this. He says, for the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation. So creation is hoping. Now, what's it hoping for? For God's sons, people who've put their faith, given Jesus the steering wheel of their life, for God's sons to be revealed. So there's a connection between you and I as 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 human beings, mankind, womankind, there's a connection between us and creation. Now, we'll understand that a little bit more. For the creation was subjected to futility. So creation was put underneath a frustration, right? Where creation is frustrating. Creation is problematic. 
COVID-19, storms, natural disasters. But it was put under futility, not willingly, but because of him, and this is talking about God, who subjected it. So God put creation in futility. So God put creation where creation acts violent. Creation acts with disasters. Creation has problems. Creation has viruses. And this was all done under the sovereignty, sovereignty of God. But God did it in the hope that creation itself will also be free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So the creation says, well, the best is yet to come. Creation is saying, hey, there's gonna come a day where there's no storms, no tornadoes, no viruses. Now, how does that all fit together to fuel our hope? Remember, it depends on how you look at it. So if we go back to what we said at the beginning, there's a connection between creation and and humanity. There's a creation between, a connection between creation and mankind and womankind. Now, here's what happens, okay? In the beginning, God put mankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, God put them over creation. He gave them authority over creation. Now, what did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Adam and Eve said, let us do it our way. Adam and Eve went out from under God's authority. They rebelled against God's authority. They abused their authority over creation. And just like a dad who abuses his authority or a, pa- a mom or just like a, a leader who abuses their authority, everything under their authority is affected adversely by their, by their rebellion or by their sin, okay? Just that, it just, that, that's just kind of a rule. And, and so that, that happened in creation, that Adam and Eve rejected and rebelled, abused their authority, and so everything under their authority was subjected to futility, so creation is broken. And we read about that in, in Genesis three seventeen, where God says to Adam, because you sinned, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. So creation will cause you pain. Creation will cause you frustration, okay? And so, but God did this in hope that there would be a better day coming, in hope that the best would be yet to come. So in creation, we get a beautiful perspective, okay? In creation, we have what's natural or what's designed, how the weather works, how life works, what what is the ecological, biological cycle, how does the ecosystem work? All of that is natural and scientists and biologists and epidemiologists, they all study that and they talk about it. But we also see in creation a judicial message that yes, there was a consequence to Adam and Eve's rejection and rebellion of the authority of God. And so everything under Adam and Eve's authority became affected negatively, adversely. It became broken. But we also see the father heart of God because God did this in hope. We read that in Romans 8, right? In hope that what? The better would be coming. And so just like, listen, just like 
when you as a parent, if you're a parent, you give your kids a consequence, you do so in hope that what? It's redemptive and that they learn a lesson and that there is a better day coming for your sons or daughters. If you're a coach and your, your team had a bad game and then you call very punitive and very tough practices, you do that in hope that there's something better coming. And so what happens for us when we have a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding, Paul says, here's how you have to look at it. Some things happen that are, are in as part of nature, okay? And so God's not against it. God's not against science and any of those things. I mean, there's design, there's order, there, there's, there's things that happen. There's things that happen in, in, in creation that are reflective of a judicial judgment of God. Now, that God subjected creation to futility when Adam and Eve sinned. He put the curse in place, okay? And that is a consequence. But he also did it as a father in hope that the kids would come back to him and put their faith, their hope, their trust and confidence in him. Now, here's, here's the beautiful, beautiful thing that Christians have going for us, okay? And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that in all humility, okay? A lot of people are looking at this situation 100% naturally. It's a science problem, uh, looking at COVID or looking at a storm. It's a nature problem. Mother nature's upset. It's just the way it is and, and yada, yada, yada. At some point, that's going to lead you to a path of frustration because if all your hope is, hey, I hope we get a vaccine. I hope the doctors and the scientists solve the problem. Guess what? There's going to be something else that takes your body down. You're still going to die. So if you're hanging your hope just on the natural, well, you got a natural life expectancy and someday you'll die of a virus, of a disease or of natural causes. And so you can't just look at it through that lens. And then a lot of times Christians will play, oh, this is God's judgment. This is God's judgment. This is the judicial judging of God. God's judging America. God's judging the world. And I'm not even prepared to say that about COVID-19. I am prepared to say, though, that all of creation is subjected to futility by God as a byproduct or a consequence of the rebellion of people like Matt Evans right? Because I'm a sinner too, and I rebel against God's authority too. But I don't stop there. And that's not the only thing I say to people, because God's a loving father. And he did all this in hope that we would turn it around, repent, put our faith, put our trust, give him the steering wheel of our life. So we have this beautiful thing, and we have to hold all these things and see all these things together. And that's how we look at this. There is nature and science involved. There is justice involved and there is the father heart of God all involved. And then Paul says this so powerful. So we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Creation's been longing for something with labor pains until now. And I love the fact that he uses the word pain because we can all relate. Life can be painful. Life can be frustrating. But labor pains or birth pains are pains of hope. Because what's a mom doing when she's in labor pain? She's giving birth and she knows the best is yet to come. So if you're walking in a hospital and you hear a scream of pain, how you interpret that pain is highly dependent on whether you're walking through the emergency room or labor and delivery. If you're walking through the emergency room, you know something serious is going on and you don't know how it's gonna come out. If you're walking through labor and delivery and you hear that, there's hope. That's just part of it to get to the best part. 
people of God, yes, there are labor pains, but it depends on how we look at it. And we know because God is a father and God is just, the best is still yet to come. Now, the other thing Paul does to give us a perspective that maximizes hope is he says, let's, look, let's talk about your personal story. Let's look at your story as, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and if you're not yet a Christ follower, you've not yet given Jesus the steering wheel of your life, not yet recognized or surrendered to him and given him your sins and, and, and said, okay, yes to Christ, then, then you're gonna see your story in this too. And I'll, I'll try to make that clear. So let's talk about our stories in what Paul says in, in verse 23 and 24. So Paul says, not only that, so not only creation and the labor pain perspective that we just talked about, but we ourselves, our situation, our story, who have the Spirit, and we've, as we've established in this series, if you have the Spirit, that means you're a Christian, supernatural, and the Holy Spirit has penetrability. He can penetrate our spirit and speak to us mind to mind, spirit to spirit in our deepest, innermost place. But we have the Spirit as the first fruits, as a, as a deposit of something better of what's, of what's coming. We also groan. So like creation, we groan. We're frustrated within ourselves, but we groan, labor pain-like, eagerly awaiting for our full adoption as sons and daughters. And our adoption involves the redemption of our bodies. So we know something, our bodies tell us something. Now in this hope, we were saved. So be, getting saved is also about putting your hope or repositioning your hope away from yourself or away from the ways of the world and putting your hope in God, in Christ and in the glory yet to come. But hope that is seen is not hope. So it's a not yet hope. It's, it's not a hope so hope. It's, a, it's coming hope. I know it's coming. It's labor pain hope. But, it's, but, it, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he has seen, for what he sees? So Paul says, look at three things in your story. The first thing he says is the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit functions as a deposit. More is, is coming. Now, what are we getting more of? Holy Spirit is God. So we're gonna get more of God than we currently have. A lot of God is unseen, sometimes unfelt. It's by, he, he, is, he operates always by faith, right? But the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, gives us supernatural experiences of the love and the grace and the hope of God. So more is coming because this is just a little deposit. The Holy Spirit gives us a sample of the full course that's coming, labor pain, and then the best is yet to come. The second part of our story, Paul says, look at, is the failings of our body. Our bodies are, are gonna wear out. Our bodies are gonna let us down. Our bodies produce, you know, there's desires coming out of our bodies that we know lead us down a path called stupid, that we know lead us down a path away from God. We know it doesn't matter if we get a vaccine tomorrow for COVID-19, we can still get something else that can kill us. We can, there might be another virus that, that if, if it comes, into, comes into the population of humanity out of another place, another country, and, and it could be worse. I mean, at some point, our body Bodies just fail and run out. And so Paul says, but that's not the final say because you're sons and daughters. And if Jesus rose from the dead and you're a co-heir with him, you're gonna rise from the dead and your bodies are gonna be made new too. 
And then the third part of our story, he says, is the outcome of our salvation, that our salvation is, a, is yes, we're saved now, but there's a not yet that we've not yet gotten to labor pains, right? And so Paul says, with that perspective, now you, it just sort of fits together. So we don't have everything God has promised has not been given. Our bodies long for something better. Our bodies long for something more. And our salvation promises us something more. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, what speaks to you is, is this, the failings of the bodies, right? That if all your hope is in what your body can provide, or what you can grasp and gain and earn, or what medicine can give or sustain, at some point, that hope ends. Now, Christ followers have all three of these working together to give us the perspective. The best is yet to come. And so Christ followers are, are not holding on to a certain outcome of what's tomorrow gonna be like. We're just holding on to the character of God with eager waiting. But what are we waiting for? Who we'll become, a fully adopted sons and daughters with the full satisfaction and sharing in the glory of Christ. And who we'll see, the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ. So you see, we're not just eagerly awaiting for the, everything to return to normal in a couple of weeks, because it won't, may never. And, and me saying may never is not meant to quench your hope, it's meant to focus your hope on the hope of the glory of Christ and who we'll become and who we will see. So I wanna ask us all a question. Is COVID-19 frustrating your hope or serving your hope? See, if COVID is frustrating your hope, your hope may not be high enough and it's certainly not certain enough. But COVID-19 could be serving your hope because it's reminding you the best is yet to come in Christ and with Christ. There's a story comes out of an AIDS clinic in, uh, in California. And uh, the chief of the clinic was sitting at, uh, at her desk one day and, and an AIDS patient walked in and sat down to be treated. And he, he was treated by a new doctor. And the doctor came in and never made eye contact with him, stuck him in the arm, injected some medicine. And without even looking at him in the eye, he said to him, he said, you know, you don't really have long to live. A year tops. And then he walked away. And this patient got up and as they were walking out, they walked past the chief of the clinic and, and, the, and the AIDS patient said, that blankety blank just took my hope. And she replied, well, I guess he did. Maybe it's time for you to find another hope, a different hope for your life. Could God have allowed COVID-19 to help us hope better, to help us hope higher, to help us overflow with maximum hope that he provides for his sons and daughters. So today, our invitation is this. You're a Christian, a Christ follower. You've given Jesus the steering wheel of your life. But you just need today to remember 
where your ultimate hope is. You need to remember that. And almost like you refresh your phone or your screen, you need to just refresh your hope in Christ. And remember how beautiful and remind yourself of how amazing the glory of Christ is going to be. But for some of you, you need to repent. And the word repent means change your mind. Change your mind that maybe you've been hoping in money. Maybe you've been hoping in drugs. Maybe you've been hoping in yourself or your body. Maybe you've been hoping in that you'd get a long life. Maybe you've been hoping in marriage or hoping in your kids. Hoping in anything but God. And today God's inviting you to change your mind about where you position your hope. And he's inviting you to position your hope fully on his son Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've trusted anything but you. Forgive me for my sins. I repent. I change my mind. I realize you're the only sure hope. And as best I know how, Jesus, I give you the steering wheel of my life to serve you and follow you all the days of my life and into eternity as a co-heir with you. However we can help you take a step as God the Spirit has directed you, would you text the word CONNECT to 888-744-0761? And you can connect to Christ become one of his followers, become a co-heir. You may want to connect to community because one of the things we do in the church, one of the reasons we say stronger together is as church members and brothers and sisters in Christ, in small groups together, in Bible study together, in congregating together, is we help each other be reminded and refreshed in the hope that we have in Christ. So if you want to get connected to Christ or to his church, just text CONNECT to 888 744-0761. You can also go to rockbridge.cc slash next steps. I hope today you leave with more hope than when you came. Let me pray. God, thank you for maximizing our hope. I pray today that if anybody is ready to connect to Jesus, place their hope and confidence and faith fully in him to forgive their sins, satisfy their soul and take them into forever that they would say yes to you Jesus right now give you the steering wheel of their lives surrender and move forward in faith God I pray for everyone today that we've been reminded and refreshed of the amazing marvelous hope that we have in you we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen